0: So we've got a lot to cover today. Um, We're going to review last week. Um, I think it's really important for us to have that foundation of understanding where it is we're coming from. So last week in our message, Wickedness Rallies, we saw that God at this point in time, the the people of God, had sanctified themselves unto him. They were setting their sights on what it was that was coming. They were going to set their head a campaign to take the rest of Canaan. That was God's challenge to them. And so we saw as they were rallying and preparing for battle that the enemy was also rallying and preparing for battle. And what we did last week was we contrasted the physical enemies that they faced with the spiritual enemies that we face in our lives. First, we paid attention to their origins. Scripture revealed to us that their enemies were going to come from the promised land, within the borders of their promised land. And what we realized is the fact that they were going to come from all the areas that were not conquered the areas where the enemy still existed. And what we realize, the fact that we contrast that to ourselves, is the fact that in our Christian lives, as we go forward, there are areas of our lives that maybe we don't have the victory. And guess what? That is where the enemy will rally his attack from. He's going to prey upon our weaknesses. And until they're conquered, there will be a vulnerability for us. So we looked at the fact that the devil is always looking to exploit spiritual weakness. He's watching us all the time, looking where it is he can impact us. He wants to negatively impact our Christian walk, personally, but also impact our testimony, not only individually, but also as a church of what is it we're trying to accomplish for the glory of God. It's why in Peter, or Paul, exhorts us in in Ephesians 4.27. He says, you know, neither give place to the devil. What he's saying is you need to focus your heart on holiness. Focus your heart on doing what's right, because if you don't, you're going to leave openings, Places that the devil can exploit and come into your life. And I can tell you, man, sin can bring unbelievable destruction. Even small sin, little places of concession in our lives can do great damage to us. So we see that they originate in those areas of weakness. Then we consider the identity of the enemies. Look, they took note. We took note of the fact that they had a uniqueness to them. We saw that those pagan kings were going to rally from all over Canaan from different places. They would have different appearances. They would have different names. They would have different belief systems. But ultimately, they all served the same master. They all served with the same intent. And we looked at their varied appearance of how they would come. And we compared that that to the myriad of forms that the attacks will come against us in our spiritual lives. They're not always going to be the same. Some will be designed to strategically impact our personal walk. Maybe we're trying to spend time with God. and It'll be something that just keeps working on us, trying to disrupt that personal time. But then maybe it's another thing that's maybe trying to impact Our walk externally and the testimony that our life says maybe to the people that we love but also the community around us so there'll be specific attacks and we saw that they would be strategically made or specifically designed to impact the individual then we looked at the motivation of their enemies paying attention again to the fact that their actions what did it say it told us the fact that they would respond the enemies were responding to what God was doing in the Israelites So recognize the enemies in our life, those enemies that are going to come against us, it's based upon the stories of what's taking place in our lives. If you're doing something for God, guess what? You become a threat. And we looked at this. That was the reason why they were responding, because they saw the Israelites as a threat to their power. And recognize when you and I are standing up for God, when we're getting close to God, when we're leaning into his word, when we're sanctifying ourselves, we become a threat. And the kingdom of darkness that is around us that has a hold on this world starts to tremble a little bit when he sees a Christian that goes, you know what? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to honor God. I'm going to love God. I'm going to work on sanctifying my heart. I'm going to fall in love with His Word. I'm going to live His Word. And the devil goes, you know what? No, 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 no. (laughs) We we can't allow that. So, gentlemen, let's focus our attention on this guy. We need to knock him off, off course. So we asked ourselves the question, are we a threat? Does our life today, does it cause... The forces of evil to come against us. And if you're facing adversity, because I just tell you right now, since we planted this church, I have not dealt with more adversity in people's lives as we speak. The last two or three weeks since we've been focusing our hearts on setting our hearts on revival. I'm talking marital, financial, physical, emotional. People are going through the ringer. And you know what the devil's saying? I need to stop what's going on there. Yeah. There are people that should be here today who are not. You know what? Because the devil found a way yeah. to knock them off course. Amen. And it's, it's, it's awful. It's terrible. But it's awesome at the same time. Because, listen, you want to be a threat. Who wants to be a pushover where the devil goes, no worries there. Don't even apply any work to those guys. They're all set. No. Man, praise the Lord. If he's coming after us, that means that we're a threat. And I do praise God for that. But recognize. Then we looked at the fact that, um, consider their unity. The fact that they were all linked together. As we said a couple minutes ago, what do they have in common? They all serve the same master. What unifies them is their hatred for God. Their desire to bring destruction upon God and God's people. And we contrasted the hatred that they had that unifies them to the love that should unify us as a body. Love for one another that we bear one another's burdens, that we come together and we unite around God's word and we live his word, we, we profess his word and we reach out to this dark and hurting world because the difference, that gonna, the, the, what's going to make a difference is us. See, we're this we're the, the church is the vehicle that God left on earth to reach the world. That's why we're here. And it's not about us getting caught up in just what's going on in our own lives, but realizing the fact that our lives are supposed to impact those around us. Not in a negative way, but for the little glory of God. So we know why the enemy is doing what he's doing. And so as the Israelites behind their Joshua unite to conquer more of Canaan, we know that their enemy is going to rally against them. They're preparing to fight. And what we see today and what we're going to focus on is we're going to spotlight one of the most destructive and seductive tactics that the devil uses to attack God's people. We're going to use Joshua 9, uh, verses 3 through 6. We'll set the stage with, Joshua, with verse number 3. But our points are going to come. Sorry, that little. Our points. Our points. (laughs) Our points are all going to come from four through six. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, I don't know. That was weird. I don't know. I'm going to get this in water. (laughs) Mickey Mouse showed up to preach. Our points. Our points are going to come from from verse from chapters uh, from chapter nine, verses four through six. Okay. Uh, What we'll see in this in these. Three verses. We're going to see a false identity. We're going to see a false appearance. We're going to see a false promise in the message this morning, which is titled "Wiles of the Devil." Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, God, for Your Word. Uh, God for the truths. Uh, God, as it has been speaking to me, I mean, incredibly this week. And uh, Lord, as I do see all that's going on and all the struggles that people are dealing with, I can certainly see the wiles of the devil at work, uh, trying to hurt your work. So God, I just pray for this church. I pray for these people, God, that you put a hedge of protection around them. God, fortify them in your truth. Help them, Lord, to be grounded in who you are. And Lord, uh, have eyes to see and recognize the wiles of the devil as they come against them. Thank you so much for this church. I pray that you'll bless us now, Lord. I pray that you'd help remove the human element of this message, God. I do not want to be heard. I just want your word to be preached. Thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. So Joshua 9 verses 3 through 6, this says, when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work wildily, and went and made as if, it, as if they had been ambassadors ambassadors, and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up and old shoes and clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua unto the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, we become from a far country. Now, therefore, make a league, make ye a league with us. So last week we discussed the motivation. What was causing the enemies to come against them was the stories of what, what God was doing. The story was out. The word was out of the conquests. So, logically, the Gibeonites, who are really the next closest enemy, they're going to go, whoa, okay. So they take note of what's been heard. Now, understand, Gibeon was a very strong city. It is a city that is well fortified. It has a very strong army. Joshua 10, too, teaches us that. as He says this, It says, and they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city as one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all the men thereof were mighty. Okay, so we see Gibeon. Gibeon translates the hill city. It was east of Jericho in the mountain range right over there. It's populated by the descendants who are mostly Hivites, but there's a few Amorites mixed in as well. But so even though they're a formidable opponent, what's interesting is they have no interest in fighting. We see, though, they have a great military. They do not want to fight because they heard what happened at Jericho and at Ai. So now they have no interest in fighting militarily, that is. But that doesn't mean they don't want to still oppose God. Okay? So now what we're going to understand is the fact that, listen, they're going to come. And what we see is this setting the stage for what's to come. The Gibeonites will employ one of Satan's most effective and destructive tactics, which is deceit. And we'll see how this deceptive attack, we'll take note of how it really, what makes it effective the first thing that makes it effective is the fact that they'll come bearing a false identity. And it says, verse 4, they did work wilily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors. An ambassador is someone who functions as a authorized representative, right? So the U.S. ambassador to France goes and speaks to the French government on behalf of the United States. He's not there in an adversarial role. He's there to build bridges. He's there to to create a, a sense of strengthening relationships. That's why he's there. So he's not... In any way, supposed to be a negative. He's supposed to be a congenial and a cooperative individual. So the Gibeonites come here and not as enemies. No, no, no. They're coming, portraying themselves as something that they're not. Now, so they're coming to the Israelites in the name of friendship. Notice the wording. They did work wilily. I know that's a weird word, wilily, but it's actually taken from the word while or wiles. That means trickery. Okay? So this is trickery. It first appears in Numbers chapter number 25. This is a point in time where 24,000 of the Israelites have been wiped out. What happened to them is because they found themselves, they got defiled with the Midianite women. They defiled themselves and they literally, uh, because of their defilement with these women, God brought a plague and killed them off. Numbers 25, 18 says this, for they vex, vex means come against to, to, uh, to fight you, it says for they vex you with their wiles wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of Peor, in the, in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a prince of Midian, their sisters which slain, was slain in the day of the plague for Peor's sake. So the Midianite women preyed upon the weakness of the Israelite men. Right? They're always looking for a way to attack. And they seduced these men into forsaking their vows to God. And as a result of that, they would die. How many Christians in the world today have forsaken their vows to God because they've been seduced by the world. So many of us, and not even recognize it, because understand, it's done in a deceitful manner. See, they receive ungodliness into their lives, not because it seems like threatening to them. It actually appears non-threatening. It actually appears like something that's positive. It's presented in a way that it can be appealing. And so what happens? We hear testimonies of Christians who say, man, at one time in my life, man, I was on fire for God. Man, I was in the Word. I was living for Christ. I, my, my life was a, was, a, just a, was a light in the darkness. But something happened. Amen. And, and I don't know how it happened, but a couple years later, I found myself caught up in sin. I don't even understand how I got there. And we talked about it before. It's kind of like when you get in the ocean. When you get in the ocean, you set your towel right here. And you go and jump in the ocean, you're playing with your friends. Whee! And you look up and you're like, where's my, where's my stuff? Whoa. Yep. You didn't even feel it. The current was moving you, but because you weren't consciously facing the current and fighting the current, the current pulled you down the beach. You never even realized it. And what happens is it just takes a little bit of concession in our lives, a little bit of accepting what we should not. We're not fighting the current. We're going along with the current of the world. And can I promise you, the current of this world is not going towards God. That's right. Not be any stretch of the imagination. And what we find is the fact that we go from being faithful to becoming unfaithful. James 4, 4 says this, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God, Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And we hear that and we go, yeah, I've heard these verses before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adulterers and adulteresses. He's talking about being unfaithful. He's talking about himself with his church. He's talking about the fact that we become unfaithful because we set our hearts on the things of the world. We get friendships with the world. And it's a subtle, seductive thing. Notice the word friend. Friend. Listen, if I decide one day, my wife and I happily married, but one day a lady comes into my life and she's super nice friendly, pretty, sweet, makes me cookies, gives me Reese cups. You know that right there. That's the, there's the ticket. <laughs> but the point is this. I start to develop a relationship with her, and she's just as nice as she can be. She feels non-threatening. She's, she wants to talk about even, maybe even talk about the Bible some. And after a while, you know what? I decide, you know what? I'm gonna go get, we're going to go get dinner. She invited me out to dinner. What's wrong with that? I mean, I, mean I, I love my wife. No problem. And I call my wife, and I say, hey, babe, you know what? So-and-so, she asked if I could go to dinner with her. And, uh, you know, I I was going to, is Saturday night okay with you? Mm -hmm. (laughs) How do you think that's going to go over? (laughs) That balloon, not a chance in the world. She's going to go, you what? (laughs) Right? As she should. I have no business being in a friendship with another woman. If I'm loyal to my Lord, I should have no business having a friendship or relationship with the world. And yet what we have is a double-minded world where we're trying to be with the world and with God. I love God, but I also love this stuff. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, he says. We must set our hearts where they can grow and flourish with the Lord. But these Gibeonites, what do they present themselves as? It says, and they made as if they had been ambassadors. An ambassador, man, not an enemy. No, no, no. They're coming as friends and we want to judge the failure of these Israelites we want to look at them and go how how could they fall for this I mean how in the world does this take place but remember the struggles of the Israelites are pictures of our individual struggles we see the same things that they're dealing with it's a physical picture of something spiritually taking place in our lives every day we're making choices will I today will I be a friend of God or will I be a friend of the world our friendly relationship with the world to God is unfaithfulness. He sees us as adulterers and adulteresses because we allow the world to seduce us to things that we have no business being a part of. And what happens every time? You can, you can judge it. Is it the seduction of the world? Check. Is it bringing you closer to God? Is it drawing you to His Word? Is it making you more holy? Or is it making you more worldly? You can discern it in the moment and recognize it just like that. It's subtle, but if you have eyes to see it, you can see it. Now, understand, there are frontal assaults that are going to come, and buddy, I tell you what, those things, when the devil comes, the results are going to be easy to see. You're going to see destruction right away. But it's those subtle attacks, those subtle attacks that work their way in, masquerading as friendship or masquerading as something that we want to embrace that can cause actually the most long-lasting and destructive impacts in our lives. The next time wiles shows up in Ephesians chapter number 6, you'll only see it twice other than that, wildly. Wildly. It's introduced as we talk about spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 11 through 13. It says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We talked about last week. Those were real physical pagan kings, real rulers of the darkness. These are spiritual ones. We're fighting a spiritual war. And because we're fighting this war, verse 13, wherefore, because you're fighting this war, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand to a stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And can I tell you that the evil of the day is upon us? We can look at our culture today and see this world sliding ever more quickly towards destruction. And we see here the devil adapts his strategy to try to stop the work of God from being accomplished. It's always the case. Instead of warring against God's people, which he's done up to this point, he steps back and goes, okay, I could probably do more damage if I could find a way to get into the camp. If I could just get inside the relationship between the husband and wife. If I could just find a way between the children and the parents, if I could just find my way in the doors of the church, I could probably bring some real damage. Because he's identified the Israelites' weakness. Recognize, listen, they're ready for the army attack. They're ready for the frontal assault. They're ready to trust God in the midst of a battle that will be raging. They're all about that. The weakness the Israelites have is they don't have the ability to recognize an enemy from a friend. They're not ready for the subtle attack. They're as an army prepared to wage war. But they're not ready for people to come portraying themselves as friends. What we'll find is, in the fact, they're not going to trust the Lord in these sentences. We studied last week, remember, the devil's he's looking to identify their weakness. And then once he's recognized that weakness, there is a vulnerability there. He will exploit it. And understanding that the most effective area, his subtlety has always been his strength. We look and we go back through scripture and we look at what has always happened. Go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter number three. When the devil comes on the scene, he shows up with deception. Genesis three, verse one. Now understand, he's showing up as a friendly advisor. Recognize, here he goes. He's an ambassador of truth. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. That leading question. Did God say you can't eat any of the trees? He knows that's not the case. He wants to get her to respond. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the the, fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. God didn't say that. Lest ye die. And the serpent said unto her, "Ye shall not surely die. Did he tell you that? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is not a death thing. No, 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 no. This is a knowledge thing. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Do you not really? I, I'm just, I'm your friend. Hey, he's not being straight with you. What's really going on? Trust me. You go ahead. Have that fruit. It's good for you. Right? That's how he appears. And can I just as a side note tell you this? I don't care how good the advice sounds. I don't care how much you may want to follow that advice. If it does not line up with what God says, right. yeah. then don't listen to it and certainly don't act upon it. Yeah. It is not your friend. It is not what's good for us. And we recognize the fact that the devil is going to show up. He'll show up first of all as a roaring lion, right? That's his identity. As a roaring lion, we know he seeks whom, to, whom he may devour from 1 Peter 5.8. But we also know, that he appears as an angel of light, as we'll see our next point, a false appearance. Verse 4, And took old sacks upon their asses, and wine bottles old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and clouded upon their feet, and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moulding. And we can certainly see these men don't look like soldiers. They don't look threatening. They don't look scary. They have no weapons. They have no armor. They come across as very non-threatening. They're tired, they're beleaguered, they're dusty, they're dirty. They've got all this old stuff they're carrying with them. And we take note, first of all, understanding that as, as we uh, consider those that appear non-threatening in our lives. okay, Remember, subtlety. Subtlety. Before we let someone, uh, someone or something into our lives and allow it to become an influence in our lives, we need to be careful. Because these men look the part. They are Convincing, Old, ragged clothing, worn-out supplies. Verse 6 tells us that they're going to tell them, hey, listen, we're not even from Canaan. We're from far, far away. All this evidence, all these visual things, they're going to show them to say, hey, that's not us. We're not from inside Canaan. No, 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 we're from outside. There's nothing suspicious if you just look on, on the surface. And can I tell you that the enemy of God is today using this exact same tactic in people's lives. All over the place. There are people that dress like Christians. Yeah? yeah. Right. That profess themselves to be followers of God. And yet they are enemies of God. Jesus warned us of these people in Matthew 7:15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Listen, literally, they're dressed the part, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. A ravening wolf is one that is starving for flesh. It's ready to attack. Look, they may look the part. They may even sound the part. They'll talk about claiming to love God. But see, then how do we know who's real and who's fake? Well, Jesus goes on to continue to tell us in John, uh, Matthew 7, 16. He says this, You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? He says, look, does the wrong fruit come from the wrong plant? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not good fruit forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. A picture of the judgment. Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. God's telling us to to pay close attention to what their life reveals. Not how they appear and not what they say. Because it's one thing to claim to love God, and it is another to live that truth and have it evident in your life. Jesus goes on to give us another qualifier. He tells us in John 14, 15, how do we know who really loves God? If you love me, keep my commandments. Okay. So we see these truths. Now, listen, as a qualifier, that does not mean that every Christian is perfect. No, far from it. But what it does tell us is, listen, there is a, there's, there's in their hearts, they desire to do right. They're striving to do right. They're drawn to God. God's working in their life. He's helping them to become evidence, their, their faith to become evident. There's indicators in their life as you know them, as you're around them. Maybe even the struggle they're having against sin because God's convicting them and drawing them out of it. And you have people that are lost who want to profess themselves through their religiosity to be one thing, but they live a completely counterculture or counter-godly life. And what we're looking for is we're looking, hey, there's going to be some evidence in their life. Not religious ceremonies, not religious activities, but the works of God. Things that would glorify the Lord or draw them closer to Him. There are lots of people in our world today, listen, who are religious. Tons, billions of people who are religious. We're not true followers of God. Paul describes them this way, 2 Timothy 3, 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. So they look the part, but they're not God's people. Being religious does not mean that someone actually knows God. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Notice the wording transforming themselves. If you are a born again child of God, you are transformed by the Spirit of God, not by the will of man. You don't change yourself. God changes you. If you're a Christian here today and you're a Christian because you are doing all that you need to do to be a Christian, there's a problem. The Spirit of God draws you to do the right thing. If you're forcing yourself to do the right thing, but your natural inclination is to be evil, there's a problem in your heart. Now listen, if your desire is to do the right thing, but you sometimes do evil, guess what? Join the crowd like everybody else. Same struggles. Look at this. Verse 14, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing, listen, if his ministers, ministers also be transformed into the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Look, they look godly. And the tragic part of this is the fact that not everyone who is an enemy of God even knows they're an enemy of God. They've been tricked. 2 Timothy 3.13 says this, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. That's what we're seeing right now. There's so much false doctrine in the world right now. It's unbelievable. But listen to the next part. Deceiving, they're deceiving people, and being deceived. So not only are they are deceiving others, but they're literally being deceived themselves. They're brought into a doctrine that's wrong, that's false, and they're leading people astray, but they're leading themselves astray at the same time. And we see in this account in Joshua, Satan's subtlety is masterful. The Gibeonites have covered every single detail. They appear to be exactly who it is. They say they are. And did you know, unfortunately, there are billions of people in our world right now today who are trusting in another Jesus, in another spirit, and in another gospel. Notice this, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 3 through 4. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The simple gospel, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is salvation, and salvation alone is through him. Four, Verse 4, for if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, notice this, another Jesus, not the real one, whom we have not preached, or if he receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. If you're not careful, you could be religiously lost if you've trusted in these things. And can I tell you, listen, there are people in churches all over this country this morning, who are claiming the name of Jesus Christ right now, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. But they don't even know who he really is. They're believing in another Jesus, one that was maybe fabricated by the church, by the rules of men. But as we pick back up in the discourse with Matthew 7, as Jesus was speaking, we finished off with verse 20, which said, Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Notice what he says next in 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, come to Christ through Christ and through salvation through faith and faith alone. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day. In that day, always an indication of the second coming of Christ. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? In thy name, in Jesus' name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Have we not done, have we not been religious, have we not had ceremonies, have we not done all these things, given money to the poor, have we not done all of this in Jesus' name? Have we not done that? Lord, that's what we did. Verse 23, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me. And notice the last part, ye that work iniquity, you did all of these things that you thought were religious that you thought were godly, that you thought were in Jesus' name. And he literally calls it iniquity. You were serving another spirit. Listen, Satan will so effectively counterfeit himself that these people will not even pick up on it until it is too late. They'll serve who they believe to be God until there is nothing they can do. But you see, that's why God gave us the Bible. That's why he preserved it throughout time. Listen, it's why it is we're trying to constantly draw you to this Word. The only reason someone believes a lie is because they don't know the truth. It's that simple. If I tell you my name is Ron, you're going to go, no, your name's David. It's not going to work because you know the truth. And listen, if you don't know the truth of God's Word, someone can lie to you and tell you something's in there that's not in there. They can twist truth and make it say something it doesn't say. And we have problems with this. Churches all over the place are falling to Calvinism, this ridiculous belief that somehow you're going to have this new perspective on the Bible. And if you take an outside perspective, which the Bible says it's not for private interpretation, by the way, the Bible defines itself, and you take this private interpretation and you apply it to the Bible, the Bible does open up in a whole new way. Oh, you're right, man. It goes, whoa, and you go, man, I never knew it said that. And guess what? Because it doesn't. But if you trust that perspective that someone taught you outside of Scripture, this Bible no longer says what it really says. And there are churches that are falling. one just fell recently. That was a good church. And guess what? They've been consumed with the same garbage. The subtlety of sin. The subtlety of deception. The only reason someone falls for a lie is because they don't know the truth. What did Jesus say about the truth? John eight thirty two, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. Look, if you're religious today, and you're watching this recorded, I don't care, I don't know what's going on in your life. But listen, if it's through anything outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I am begging you to have eyes to see the counterfeit that's been displayed to you. It may look the part. It may sound the part. It may have all the details covered, but salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. Jesus said it himself in John fourteen six, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man <laughs> cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other way. It's not through sacraments. It's not through church membership. It's not through baptism or confirmation. It's not from knocking on enough doors. It's not from praying five times to Mecca. It's not following the Book of Mormon. It's not experiencing nirvana through a Hindu trance. And it's not through being a good person. Those are fabrications that the devil has given to say, you know what? I'm going to customize what you want. I'm going to customize my lie to fit the life that you live. And why don't you just buy into that? Because they're all designed to do one thing, to take us away from God. Every single one. And I can just tell you, if you're under an attack right now and it is drawing you away from God, it is the enemy. He is trying to find a way to destroy you and separate you from God. That lion, right? He says like a roaring lion, how does a lion hunt? He separates the weak. He separates the one that's divided themselves from the pack. He doesn't attack the pack. He finds the one that's going, you know what? I'm going to hang back a little bit. And he divides and separates and he destroys them. And he jumps on them mercilessly and he drives them into the ground. And he runs them over and over and over again. He tells them that you know what? You're worthless. You're that, You're that. And he's going to lie to them. He's the father of liars, man. It's all he does. He wants to destroy God's people. But in the world today, we have so many folks that have believed a lie. Joshua and the Israelites, man. Just like they're dealing with this aspect of deception before them, there are people all over the world today that are doing the exact same thing. We see, first of all, that our or we've seen that our enemy will come bearing a false identity and a false appearance. But lastly, we consider these as a false promise. Verse 6. And they went to Joshua of the camp at Gilgal and said unto him, and to the men of Israel, We become from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. You know what they're asking for? Would you make a vow before God to have a peace treaty with us? That's what we're asking. We're not, we're not a threat to you guys. We're from way far away. We're nowhere near Canaan, fellas. No, 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 no. But let's make a league with us because we've heard how amazing you are and we want to be, be your friends. I recognize the fact that, listen, before they ever entered in the promised land, God warned them. He said, there is going to come a time when they're going to want to make a league with you. Be careful. Exodus 23, 32 through 34. The Lord told them this. He said, first of all, he said, wipe out all the inhabitants And be careful, verse 32, thou shalt make no covenant with them. What he's saying is, you know what? They're going to want to make a covenant with you. Some of them are going to come not to battle you, but to try to make friends with you. Nor with their gods. And this is verse 33. They shall not dwell in the land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. A trap. And here the trap is being laid right before. God's warned them. There would be a chance that people would show up and try to make an alliance with them. And you know what you find out when you study scripture? When you get to Judges chapter number three, verses one through seven, it recounts what happened. And it tells us that the Israelites, because of allowing the Gibeonites to have that relationship, they would draw them to their pagan gods And God would come down upon them. It would be their downfall. But see, right now, they have ears to hear. They're literally here to listen to what these men have to say, to go along with this false identity and this false appearance. We see here, the Gibeonites deliver their false promise, delivering sincere words of friendship and loyalty. And you see here, again, the devil falls back on where he excels, which is the, he being the master of deception. He is the ultimate in twisting the truth. We see that in Genesis 3. The very beginning, when he comes on the scene, he turns the truth, wrapping a lie around a kernel of truth. Jesus calls him the father of a liar. John eight forty four says this, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Notice where he says, There is no truth in him. What this tells us is that if, whether or not, if something is not grounded in God's word, it is a lie. Right. That is always the case. And Satan, who is the, 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 the prince of this world, he runs this place. This earth is his. He establishes what wisdom is here on earth. And guess what? It just happens to be completely contrary to what God says. Notice this. James 3, verses 14 and 15. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not. And notice this line right here. And lie not against the truth. Okay? So if we define the truth, what is the truth? The truth is Jesus Christ. The truth is the Word of God. He says, lie not against Jesus. Lie not against God's Word. And where does it originate? Where does it come from? John, uh, do we see James 3.15 3, says this, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. The wisdom of this world is lies. When we turn to the world for solutions for the problems we're fighting in the spiritual world, we will end up further down the road of destruction. There is only way, which is to turn to the truth. In the very same way, the Gibeonites have set the stage through their identity and appearance, the devil seals the deal with deceitful words. In our world today, let me tell you, if you want to find deceitful words, you want to find false words, like never before, we have access to false words. You ever go looking for something on the internet? Oh, my goodness. Go looking for truth. Hello. You know how many things will come back to you for what what truth really is and where it's grounded in? Oh, my goodness gracious. Every heresy that's ever been imagined will come back to you. And you know what they'll all do? They'll all call themselves the truth. Yet some of them are in complete and total blasphemy. But they will take the label of truth. But there is only one truth. Right? There is but one truth. People go, there's lots lots and lots and lots of different translations of the Bible, but they're all the truth. Hmm, that's interesting. But they have different words in them. How can it be different words and all be the same truth? Understand, God preserved His Word. For 400 years on the planet, there was only one English Bible that God brought through time and preserved. And this one is the only one you cannot copyright. This is the only one that you can track back to Antioch. Every other one of those scriptures, every other one of those New Testaments is going to go all the way back to a place called Alexandria. Egypt. Whatever comes good out of Egypt. Nothing in the Bible. You always go down to Egypt. Down to Egypt. This is the truth. This is God's Word. You want to know what He has to say on a subject? It's right before you. And this is the key. God's given us the truth. From front to back, it's absolutely accurate. It is God's Word. But if we do not consult it, if we don't allow this to be our divining rod for us, if it does not set our standard for us, then we will accept a lie. And we will call it truth. When in doubt, turn to God's Word. When in doubt, verify with Scripture. Why did Paul, he he, he celebrated the Bereans. You know why? He said, you guys don't take what's told to you. You always go back to the Word of God. And you always check and confirm that what you heard is true. Listen, don't believe what I tell you. Verify it with scripture. If you think I'm wrong, go to the Bible and verify that I'm wrong and show me. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I want to honor God. Can I make mistakes? Oh, absolutely. I make them all the time. No doubt about it. But bottom line is, this has to be our standard always. But you know what happens to the Israelites? Here's their chance. They're presented with the Gibeons. They show up. They got all the details, all the facts, everything to show them. Here's Joshua chapter 9, verse 14. And the men took of their victuals, they looked at all the stuff. Oh, man, this stuff looks old and worn out. And asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. God was ready to tell them. But if they won't ask, he's not going to tell them. Same thing happened to AI. They trusted in themselves the first time and it came back to bite them. Satan, listen, he's trying to deceive us. Abs- right now, he's trying to deceive you. He's trying to find issues and ways to work his way into your Christian life, to separate you from your brothers and sisters, separate you from the church. He's doing anything he can to stop what it is God's trying to accomplish here. And listen, he will succeed if we don't know the truth. Why do we constantly want to cut? Why we I mean, why do I study, 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 and try to pour the Word of God into you on Sundays? And then why on Wednesdays do we sit down and go beg you to come? Man, come. Learn this stuff, apply it in your life because guess what? We know you're in a spiritual fight. We're trying to fortify you. We want to see God do something great in your life. Because guess what? If you think you're not going to be under attack, just set your eyes on doing what's right, and you will be under under attack. And it will be subtle most times. But notice this. I'm going to finish up. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 says this. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. We don't want to give him an option. We don't want to give him a victory. Listen. For we are not ignorant of his devices. We know how he works. We can recognize it. If we'll take the time, if we'll be sober and vigilant, for your adversary the devil as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He will come from the weak points in your Christian life, and he will find a way to draw you away from, from God. God's shown us what to look for, right? He's shown us how to determine truth, how we determine what's right. See, only time will tell if we allow ourselves to live in that truth, to walk in that truth. Or if we fall prey to the wiles of the devil. Some of you guys that are here today, a few months from now, you may not be here. A year from now, you may not be here. Won't because anything happened that was sinful or destructive, but Satan just found a way to try to just change your heart just, to, just to, 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 uh, to distract you or maybe just to, to make you a little bit sad or frustrated or make you feel isolated. Draw close to God. His word is the answer because I can promise you the lies are going to abound. They will be all around you. The only thing that protects us is the truth. Let's pray thank you Lord for today thank you for your word God for what you've shown us God uh, thank you so much for what you've shown me and Lord I just I have just these messages have been speaking volumes to me Lord recognizing the war that we're in and God I do pray for my brothers and sisters that you would uh, God help them to have eyes to see the deception that's in the world and what wants to <laughs> sift us as wheat but God I pray that you help us to be sensitive to your spirit that we would lead uh, our lives God uh, towards, towards you God that you would direct us and guide us protect us. And I do pray for my brothers and sisters who are here. They're in the midst of a battle. God, I please, please fortify them through your strength, through your presence. Help them through the adversity they're facing, God, to lean on you. And God, let your word speak to them and minister to them through this. I pray for those challenges yet to come. Lord, we're either in a fight, coming out of a fight, or we're getting ready to go into one. It's just a matter of time. Lord, I do pray that you help this church to be a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Help us, Lord Jesus, to make a difference in the lives of those that are struggling even as we speak. There are people in this community that are broken in a million pieces and only your word can heal them. Help us to be ministers to the community around us. Help us to share the love of your your love to this broken world. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, look, I don't even know where I stand with God. I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that, that I have a relationship with Christ. Listen, he loves you right where you are. He wants to restore you right where you are, no matter how broken you may be. You're watching this online, listening to it recorded. Listen, God's calling out to your broken heart. If right now you feel God's draw, that's Him offering His love to you, His restoration to you. When He went to that cross, He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves us and He wants to restore us. If you're broken and in need of Christ, Right now, you can receive the gift of God. It's salvation. It's simple. It doesn't require anything of us except for faith. As God reaches out, all you have to do is respond. So their heads bowed and their eyes closed. If you want to receive the gift of God, if you want to go from being broken to being restored, to have a relationship with God, the God of the universe, and experience the love that he has for you, you can pray and receive Christ right now. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to lead you in prayer. It will not be the words of the prayer. There's no ceremony involved. This is nothing more than a broken heart calling out to a loving God. If you will do it this way, and you'll be sincere, God will do a mighty work in you. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ in your head, in your mind, in your, in your thoughts, repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for my sin. I understand. That I'm separated from you, but that your love wants to restore me. You died on the cross for my sins, and in spite of myself, you love me. I'm asking you right now to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, and to give me a home in heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. It's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. That's still bad. I still.